Howdy, everyone. Are you a diehard movie fan who can't get enough of your favorite films? Then we have just the thing for you. Go to MoviesByMinutes.com, the ultimate destination for movie enthusiasts like you. MoviesByMinutes.com is the hub for all things movies, but with a unique twist. Instead of watching a film in one sitting, you can dive deep into your favorite movies one minute at a time. It's like getting an exclusive behind-the-scenes pass to your most beloved movies, and we break down iconic movies into bite-sized episodes where our hosts dissect and discuss each minute of cinematic magic. Whether you're a fan of Agic... Whether you're a fan of action-packed blockbusters, heartwarming rom-coms, spine-chilling thrillers, or even classic masterpieces, MoviesByMinutes.com has a podcast series for your every genre and taste. Get ready to enhance your movie-watching experience like never before. MoviesByMinutes.com. It's like having a front-row seat to the magic of the silver screen, one minute at a time. Don't miss out on this cinematic adventure, folks. Visit MoviesByMinutes.com today and unlock a whole new dimension of movie appreciation. Daily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long. What's that all about? Just a poem, one of Johnny Diamond's favorites. Let's see. Daily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long, singing a song in search of El Dorado. Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, take a sip on an ice cold drink. It's Elder Pado, season three of Support Your Local Podcast, where we take a look at the 1966 John Wayne Howard Hawks classic, El Dorado, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, as always, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today, we'll be taking a look at chapter two, doing a man's job. But before we do that, let's take a moment and take a bit of a deeper dive into one of our cast and crew, a mover and shaker, if you will, and a segment I call Remember the Name. You don't remember me, do you? No. You remember this hat? Well, why in the hell would I remember a hat? And welcome once again to Remember the Name, the segment of the show where we take a look and do a little bit of a deeper dive into one of our cast and crew, uh, one of our movers and shakers, if you will. Today, we're going to take a look at one Mr. R.G. Armstrong, um, Robert Golden Armstrong Jr., to be exact. Uh, This is... Mr. Kevin McDonald, or Pa McDonald, as you'll hear me refer to uh, throughout the movie. And I wanted to jump in with him because this is one of the, you know, kind of to harken back to our season one. Um, This is probably the closest to a character actor um, that we have in this movie, you know, with with so many big names like John Wayne and Robert Mitchum and Ed Asner and things like that. Uh, It's nice to have somebody here that you just know is that guy. And he's been in so much stuff, especially if you're in to the Western genre. Uh, he was born in 1917. Uh, he did leave us finally in 20, uh, 2012. Um, so a nice long full life, age 95. Um, but he again is known for his his kind of bit character, uh, his character bit 
uh, pieces in, in various movies and, and shows. Uh, started out as many of these people, uh, this time frame would have, uh, being a TV Western guy. Uh, he was in all the usual suspects, um, you know, Have Gun, Will Travel, uh, The Californians, uh, The Tall Man, The Rifleman, uh, Zangre Theater, Wanted Dead or Alive, The Westerner, The Big Valley, Bonanza, Maverick. Hey, Maverick, our, our beloved James Garner. Um, Rawhide, Wagon Train, and, and Bat Matterson, Gunsmoke. You know, you, you name a Western show from the 50s and 60s, I'm sure he played a part in one of those. Uh, he also did have several appearances in The Twilight Zone, Perry Mason, uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Andy Griffith Show, The Fugitive, Daniel Boone, Hawaii Five-0, Starsky and Hutch, Dukes of Hazard, Dynasty. So you, you kind of see that's that's who this guy was. Like He was just one of those very reliable, very competent uh, character actors that could, could, could fill the role. And um, a couple of them that I, I kind of jumped out, I guess he was very big with Sam Peckinpah, uh, you know, a, a movie director that is synonymous with Westerns. Uh, he was in several of the ones we hear, and you'll hear those as we go over some of his, his movies. Um, but yeah, starting all the way back into 1954 with Garden of Eden, uh, Face in the Crowd, From Hell to Texas, uh, No Name on the Bullet, Ten Who Dared, Ride the High Country, He Rides Tall, uh, Major Dundee, and then finally in 1966-67, we have him here as Kevin McDonald in El Dorado. Uh, we have the uh, Angels Die Hard, we have the McMasters, The Great White Hope as Captain Dan, uh, The Final Come Down, The Legend of Hillbilly John, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid in 1973, White Lightning in 1973, uh, My Name is Nobody as Honest John. Um, oh, well, that one's unfortunate. Um, he had one in 1975 that was a, a 70s black exploitation uh, movie. I won't be telling you that title. Uh, Race with the Devil, White Line Fever, uh, Stay Hungry, Dixie Dynamite, uh, The Car, The Pack, Texas Detour, Heaven Can Wait, um, The Time Machine, Fast Charlie, The Moonbeam Rider, Steel, Where the Buffalo Roam, Evil Speak, Shizzy, you know that one. Uh, the Pursuit of D.B. Cooper, The Beast Within, The Shadow Riders, which I found interesting from 1982 because that is, um, of course, an, a, a, a TV movie adaptation of a Louis L'Amour book um, starring uh, Tom Selleck and Sam Elliott, um, which isn't The Sackets, which also is a Louis L'Amour adaptation starring Tom Selleck and, and Sam Elliott. Um, but if you ever get a chance to check that one out, that may even be a future future season. Uh, for Again, for my horror fans out there, you have Children of the Corn. He was Deal. Uh, Red-Headed Stranger, the the uh, Western with Willie Nelson. If you ever wanted to see Willie Nelson uh, act, that's, that's where you can see him there. Uh, he is in 1987's Predator, the Arnold Schwarzenegger version. Uh, he is in Bulletproof. He was, for you 80s and 90s kids, he played Pruneface in the Dick Tracy adaptation, the, the Warren Beatty uh, adaptation of Dick Tracy. He was also in Warlock, the Armageddon, which I believe is the second Warlock, second or third, I'm pretty sure it's the second one. Uh, in 1995, he was in Payback. Uh, 1999, he was in Purgatory, and his last film credit um, that I'm showing here is in 2001's The, the Waking. Uh, but one that I wanted to touch base on in doing this research that I was, I chuckled and guffawed with glee. Uh, I would have never, 
never put two and two together to get this one. In 1991, he was the titular character in the music video for Metallica, Enter Sandman. So yes, go on YouTube, check out the video for Enter Sandman, unless they don't allow their stuff on YouTube because Metallica fucking sucks now. Um, But if you can see it, go watch it, and you'll see one Mr. R.G. Armstrong. Um, Yeah, so again, another great character actor in in this gentleman. Um, I do take a few liberties with him further in this episode on just how he acts during this one scene. Um, it is not a reflection on this man's acting ability. I've seen him in plenty of other things that he does a great job. He is a good actor. I think that it's just an interesting choice that we go down on this route. But uh, once again, folks, this has been Remember the Name. Hey, uh, I suppose I've asked this before, but just who who is he? Tell him your name, Mississippi. Alan Bedillion Traherne. Well, no wonder he carries a knife. And we're back. Uh, We left off last chapter with a great introduction to the characters. And, you know, we can can pretty much drive at what the story is going to be, uh, even if we've not already seen Rio Bravo. And not just because this is essentially a remake of Rio Bravo, but later on on that. but they did a really good job with the dialogue, establishing who everyone was in the play and, and what the conflict is ultimately going to be. So nice touch on the script work so far. Um, we, we start this scene right where we left off with the, the Duke riding towards us. And he rides the Appaloosa across the river and we, we pull back to see the young McDonald kid asleep against a boulder up on top of the, the aforementioned big rock, quote unquote. Um, you know, I, I told you it would end up being Chekhov's big rock. So let's, let's see. The Duke gets all the way past when the young man begins to awaken and he jumps up startled and shoots the rifle off from his hip. We cut back to farther away, and the Duke shoots the young man while he's still astride his horse. And when I first saw this in reviewing for the, the podcast, I, I had some issues with the logistics of things. We, we started off seeing the Duke riding towards the big rock from down below, and he went out of view. And then the boy hopped up, looked, and shot in the direction that appeared to be where the Duke previously was. And it doesn't look like the, the, the forced perspective of John Wayne riding up was that far away. You know, it doesn't appear to be that big of a rock. And he should have already been past that point from, from where I'm looking. However, when it it comes back to the Duke shooting. He's still in front of the big rock by, by a pretty good margin and he's not yet past it. And again, I'm not sure if it's a continuity issue, you know, perhaps the perspective was farther up in a way than I originally saw. But anyways, the, the boy grabs his gut in classic Western fashion and he, he falls down, not off the rock, which would have been awesome, uh, but just down where he was, had been laying down. The, the Duke rides his horse all the way around the big rock, which seemed excessive 
Um, you know, that's that's no longer a big rock. That's the side of a freaking mountain that he's going around. It takes a good 10 seconds of quick cuts and different sides of the rock to see. He, uh, he finally comes up to presumably the young man's horse, and he hops down. His handgun is still drawn, but he's approaching the man that shot at him. And, you know, the, the young man is still gut shot, so there is good continuity there. Give them credit for that. The, the boy asks Cole to not shoot him anymore, and there's this great haunted look on the Duke's face as he looks down at his gun as if to say, you know, how did that get there? And he, he puts it away. Um, he goes into good guy mode as he rushes to the boy's side to see where he's been shot, and the boy's grimacing, you know, right, rightfully so. And he flashes some brilliant white teeth on his pained face, so apparently Mama McDonald placed a, an unusually high standard on dental care for the Old West. And John Wayne knows that it does not look promising for where he's been shot. And he asks the boy his name and finds out he's, he's just shot somebody by the last name of the same group of people that he just told Bart Jason that he wouldn't shoot. So, you know, granted... Surnames weren't very abundant back then, but you have to think he knows this isn't a coincidence. So before anyone is looking into what those shots were, uh, let's just finish the job on the kid and, and get out of Dodge, or uh, El Dorado in this case. But uh, alas, this this uh, this is John Wayne, so there'll there'll be none of that. the The kid tells him that he knows he's doomed. And that his paw told him what a gut shot means. And the Duke continues to try to comfort him and move him. But the kid uh, demands not to be touched due to the pain. And the Duke heads back to the horses. And I suppose to get a blanket or something, maybe. Maybe a, a bottle to kill the pain. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what what his plan is to, to help the kid at this point. As he walks away, the kid pulls his handgun out. So maybe he's perfectly fine and he's just playing possum, question mark. Um, props to the kid for the swerve, if that, if that is the case. That's, that's one way to take out a guy. But uh, we cut immediately to a homestead porch, not entirely too dissimilar to the one in front of Bart Jason's. However, here we see the gang that we saw earlier of McDonald's and along with a few ladies and presumably a couple ranch hands. The the guys are arguing whether to go and investigate the shots, so we have to assume they're talking about what should have been the young McDonald's warning shot. It uh, it should be concerning to them that there was another shot, which brings me to my concern with this plan in general. I I, I kind of touched on it last week, and and you know oh they'll be fine, they'll be fine. This this plan's fine. So. Someone rode up and told Pa McDonald that your worst enemy has hired a famous gun hand and that he's in the area. So, and, and let's, let's forgive for a second that he puts his youngest boy on this mission. But he tells him to go up on this big rock and if he sees anyone, he starts firing a warning shot. Not at the person, 
just more like sending up a flare for the other McDonald's. So the problem I have, and you know, maybe you're you're on the same path as me already. In what world does this plan end well? So let's put aside that it's supposed to be Cole Fortin coming. Let's make it anyone else. They're riding along. They're minding their own business. And all of a sudden, this pipsqueak is shooting his shotgun from atop this rock. Is he a thief? Is he a Native American? This is an Old West movie, let's, let's be fair. Even if the person gets a good look and sees that it is the McDonald boy, why the flying fuck is he shooting at me? <laughs> if, if I have a gun as well, I'm doing what the Duke did, you know, which, which leads to the compounding of the problem. How the hell did they expect him to react. Now, granted, if the boy was not caught napping, he could have fired the shot a lot sooner, you know, when, when John Wayne was further away, but still, you just put a famous gun hand on high alert, and he sees someone who just shot at him, or at least did in his mind, tearing out of there on his horse. You don't think he's going to hunt him down? I have a theory that this this Luke, the, the young boy McDonald, is the runt of the McDonald litter and is someone that maybe Paul wouldn't necessarily mind losing. Keep track of that, as we'll talk more about that very, very soon. But as the McDonald men are arguing, we hear another single shot. So the boy must have went through with his plan for revenge on the Duke. So let's let's roll credits. Uh, but no, the, the the movie keeps on. the The dad seems to know his plan of sacrificing Luke has been completed, and he's stating that he was meant to warn us, and he did. And now he wants his real manly sons to t- to take shelter and to get ready for a fight. You know. Something they they could have done whether or not Luke was on that rock. As as Pa and the women folk take shelter inside, we fade out to an opening of a ranch corral. And it's, you know, the the classic two post with the beam across the top of it. Looks like a pie sign. Um, Pie being the mathematical number, not the delicious cherry or apple variety. This one does go mega western by even having the cattle skulls strewn about and around on top of it the the duke is riding in and he has what appears to have something thrown across the saddle of another okay well wait um maybe that whole handgun plan by luke did not go very well uh we see as he rides further in that um that's in fact a body dangling over the saddle. And Paul and the boys prepare for a fight as the Duke gets closer to the house. We, we get a warning chicken running ahead of Cole. And it's doing a, a much, much better job than warning uh, everyone that uh, poor Luke ever did. Poor, poor Luke. 
And instead of the doggos being the harbingers of trouble like season one, uh, we'll have to keep an eye out if it's the chickens this season that are always a, a harbinger of doom, if they're the, the orange and, and godfather type deal. The, the Duke stops at the front of the house and he hollers for McDonald. And I found it interesting that the first movement we see is the sudden opening of the curtain by one of the McDonald ladies. And Paul has some of the men at the windows, and he told them a few seconds ago not to do anything unless he says. So this easily could have been enough of a suddenness to startle Cole into action. Apparently, the McDonald's are simple folk and do not quite understand the intricacies of dealing with a hired gun hand. Um, so instead, perhaps John Wayne, he figures that he should be more specific to which McDonald he meant. He did not mean the lady folk. Um, it's almost as if he's to say, you know, excuse me, miss, I, I wasn't referring to you. So he calls out Paul specifically and he, he finally walks out onto the porch. The, the Duke tells him to come out and get your boy, which prompts all the men and women to leave their hiding spots and begin to surround the scene. Uh, this is further showing how nothing gets past Paul. He states, he's dead, ain't he? Which, you know, the Duke confirms. And Jose and Miguel, two ranch hands, are, are told to get Luke down from the horse. And they're joined up by two of the lady ladies. And uh, they get him down. And I, I found it slightly humorous that uh, only one of the ranch hands actually helps carrying the body. Uh, and, and that one is joined by the two ladies. The other ranch hand walks the horse away. So, you know, thanks, Jose or Miguel, which, whichever you are. Uh, we've, got the, we've, we've got the dead weight body. Don't worry. You, you, no, 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 that's okay. You, you walk the horse. You, 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 you do your part. But um, Pa is still standing. Uh, they're just kind of stoic as they carry Luke past him. There's no extra emotion. There's no remorse. There's no mourning. He just kind of watches. And it's, it's like, good riddance, you little bitch ass. Sorry, that one is for my buddy Harry, in case he's listening. Love you, brother. Um, Paul asks what happened, and the Duke tells him he left a boy to do a man's job, which is the title of our chapter. He, he tells Paul that Luke had fallen asleep and was startled into shooting, and someone who will discover is a McDonald's sister, calls Cole a liar, to which the Duke gives her the frankly, I don't care what you think. And she then tries to go full-blown fancy vest and grab the rifle from her saddlebag. Like, I know this is a Western and all, and I'm not going to sound the Western trope alert. Don't worry. But, like, damn. <laughs> Everyone's quick to grab their guns in this one. You know, this this is getting getting to be a little a little bit. Pa scolds her and instead of going in the house as he told her, she storms off on her horse out of the ranch. And I'm I'm sure nothing will come of that very, very soon. Paul brings the conversation back at hand and he asks how he knew he was asleep. And here comes a problem that I've admittedly always had, even when I was watching this as a kid. This I caught this. The, 
the Duke tells him Luke told him he was asleep, told him his name, and told him that Paul told him what happens when a man's gut shot. Now, we literally just saw this transpire a minute or so ago. Yes, Luke told him his name. That's where Cole got his, his well shit look. Yes, Luke told him about the gut shot. But we never saw him tell him that he was asleep. The camera never cuts away from the time that John Wayne approaches him to the time we see Luke pull the gun out of his holster. The, the handgun after he'd been shot. I'm going to assume that Luke did not, amidst his suffering, tell him I was sleeping and bam, does what he does. I'm sure it's just a script issue because John Wayne's not lying about what happened. He just did not know what he seems to know. And just take a moment. Speaking of Luke doing what he did, the, the Duke confirms it by telling Paul that he's partially, he being Paul, is partially to blame for telling him a gut shot person doesn't have a chance to survive. And that you'll find two bullets in him. One is Cole's. And then he doesn't have to tell him who the other belonged to, which is a nice touch. It's a, it's a nice way of getting around the suicide without expressly showing or saying it in the movie. It's also a great job by John Wayne to still show the disgust in the situation for him. And, and say what you will about him or the impersonations of him. But he does actually have some good facial acting going on here. I, I, I am a fan. Paul, on the other hand, continues to look like the burrito he had for lunch is giving him a mild, very mild case of heartburn. And Paul decides that Cole must have been telling the truth. And I, I wonder if after Cole leaves, if they'll go full Columbo and, and dig the two bullets out to, to confirm the, the Duke sulkenly rides off, and we, we see him passing by the big rock again. And seeing it from this angle, it's not that tall. So I still find it hard to believe the force perspective made John Wayne that far away. I'm, I'm standing by my theory that this was the 60s, and no one was analyzing things this closely. So the 10-second ride around and up the big rock is likely just a series of shots that could be from completely different areas. Um, as he passes, he takes a look back at the top of the rock and I have to think half as a moment of remembrance of the event. And if he's smart, half of it to make sure that there's not another McDonald up there. And speaking of, he should have worried about the next rock because we see the female McDonald laying in wait with her rifle and holy shit, she shot the Duke. John Wayne is down. He falls from his mount and she comes charging down the rock to him. And <laughs> I, I don't want to be that guy, forgive me. But for someone who we're seeing and will continue to see as this tomboy growing up with rough and tumble brothers, uh, Michelle Carey, the, the actress that the, the actress runs like a girl. 
Um, forgive me. Watch the movie. You you can't you can't unsee it. But uh, she rides up to the fallen duke and dismounts to get closer. And as she stands next to him, she says, "Maybe you won't shoot any more little boys." And the duke uses his arm for an awesome leg sweep. It is it is a, a beautiful, beautifully executed. She she takes a fall to the bum, and the the duke scrambles to grab the rifle. As he's grabbing her back, excuse me, his back, he warns her to make sure someone's dead next time, and he chucks the rifle into the water. She can't believe that she missed at that range, to which John Wayne moves his hand to show the blood coming from his lower back uh, and let her know that she did not, in fact, miss, and he wipes it on her shirt. So she's now playing the tough person, I, I get it, and is proud of her shooting ability to the point that she can't believe she missed. But she shot him right above the ass. So this isn't exactly marksmanship material to, to be bragging on. He, he tells her to, you know, go on, get, and is, she does, and, and she retrieves her rifle and, and rides off. So it's a good thing she didn't have a handgun somewhere like Luke um, to where, you know, this must be completely resolved now. We're, we're done with this. We, we fade away to J.P. Harris standing in a room with another gentleman who's, who's wiping his hands on a towel. And the man tells J.P. to open the window that the smell of that chloroform is putting him to sleep. So either this is some kind of old western kink party or... Nope, nope, no, wait. We, we pull back to see Maudie sitting on a bed next to the, the prone body of what appears to be the Duke. So we're guessing the other guy is some sort of doctor, and he tells Maudie to hold the Duke down as he gives himself a little snoot of the, the smelling salts um, before giving them to Cole. He, he introduces himself as Doc Miller, and he's the only doctor in town, and we see the Duke ask if he got the bullet out, and the doctor tells him no. So this rightfully surprises the Duke because... He's wearing a bandage, and, and before we go too much further on this, something, of course, you know, struck me as odd. Did the Duke not know he was getting this surgery? You know, didn't someone have to put him out with the chloroform? So why didn't the Duke know who the doctor was? You know, did, did he refuse to get the bullet looked at and Maudie just happened to have a bottle of chloroform for special occasions? And when she got him nice and unconscious, she snuck the doc in. And with the the sheriff there with him and Maudie, was it was it a real party? Question mark. Um, anywho, the doctor tells him that the bullet is too close to his spine and he doesn't feel that he's a capable enough doctor to do it correctly. And this was a nice touch, I have to admit. So not not to knock medical professionals, but it was nice to see someone who knows their limitations and their capabilities and doesn't overstep them. You know, keep in mind, this is before everyone was Sue happy. So he doesn't really have that lying over his head. They... They can't move him for a few hours, and the doc says to make sure he's not bounced around. Maudie offers up her bed and, and comfort, to which the sheriff offers his narrow, hard, uncomfortable bed. Excuse me. 
but says that at least he won't be bounced around. And it's just a nice little comedic, you know. So I, I guess we know that the the relationship between Maudie and Cole is known to be a little less than platonic. You know, it's a it's a nice little joke break as the scene fades into a, a man riding a horse blowing on a bugle. I think poorly, but, you know, it's, it's hard to tell on a bugle. And Maudie asks KS, to which the, the lady replies, Es bull, he comes, as Maudie stuffs a, a chicken leg in her mouth. So I'm sure I'm just a perverted old man. I'm sure I'm just looking for stuff like this, but come on, guys. Um... I'm admittedly not sure where the hell they are. Uh, Maudie came out of what looked like a kitchen, and she was eating food and carrying cups for a drink. She walks across the room, and we see Cole in a different shirt, upright, with JP sitting in a chair in front of him. The, the doctor is there in the background, and there are two guys with guitars, just kind of standing there. So... If this is a cantina of sorts, it doesn't look like one. And if it's Maudie's, she has servants, which is fine. We saw Linda a moment ago. But a mariachi squad? Question mark? Maudie opens the door to let in the bugle player. Uh, he's an older gentleman in a buckskin jacket with tassels and a, a star on his chest. So this is Bull. I... I don't mean there's anything wrong with it. I mean, he actually goes by the name Bull. I, I find that interesting because when you think of someone who would go by that name, you don't necessarily think of the real thin, grizzly bearded guy that this guy represents. And he tells everyone he was playing the music to honor one of General Hood's Texas cavalrymen leaving. And so very brief jump into a history lesson. Uh, General Hood, which Bull is referring to, um, John Wayne was apparently fighting for in the Civil War, or John Wayne's character. General Hood was on the Confederate side. So, for whatever it means to you personally, the Duke was a Confederate in this movie. Just throwing that out there. Bull lets slip that Cole's leaving town tonight, and it quickly appears that Maudie was not aware of that. And the Duke quickly appears to notice that Maudie was not aware. And she walks into the kitchen to get Bull a cup, and the Duke pulls her aside to say that, you know, he should have told her. And she just walks off kind of chuckling to herself at kind of the indignant uh, look and we immediately dissolve into Cole loading up his horse and Maudie approaching. So apparently he was trying to just escape into the night without saying goodbye. And she isn't noticeably upset as I think I would be, but knows that he'll only be back in town when he can forget the whole McDonald fiasco. And for the Duke portraying the strong, stoic, breaking the young girl's hearts, just like Gene and Roy persona. It's nice that the movie does dig into the effects that things are having on him. 
you know, any other mindless shoot them up would, would not deal with the fact that he wrongfully killed someone and a kid at that, you know, even by Western standards. So the Duke goes in for a kiss and we get the classic John Wayne's hat obscuring their faces. And I've heard tell through the years that he always did this on purpose so that the actors could just pantomime the kiss and not have to actually do it. And, you know, I, I don't know the validity of that, but if it is true, props. I, I, I dig that. Um, we get a sad harmonica playing as the Duke gets on his horse and he, he rides off into the sunset. His lady, he's leaving behind with tears in her eyes, watching on. And, and that's our movie. There's nothing more to see here. Roll credits. No, there, there's still plenty of movie left, guys. It, it's just interesting how many beats during it that could seem like the end moments, especially for us only being about 20 minutes or so into the movie. And, you know, there, there is plenty of movie left, but just not for today. Uh, we end our scene with a fade out to a sad Maudie. So what happens next? You know, does the doctor use chloroform and smelling salts just for funsies? How does an in-house mariachi band work? Do they just stand there waiting? Is it Are they hourly? Are they salary? I wonder. How Does Bull always blow his bugle when he's coming? Find out this and more when we return next time with Elder Pado. Until then, as always, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Support Your Local Podcast. Please take the time to like and follow us there. Uh, if you have a free moment, something that is absolutely free, but you can help me out a great deal with is rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you find us on. But until we meet again, folks, just know that I love you and please, please, please support your local podcast. Hey, uh, I suppose I've asked this before, but just who who is he? Tell him your name, Mississippi. Alan Bedillion Traherne. Well, no wonder he carries a knife.